Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. If you have your Bibles, I just want to take a few moments because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning together as we dedicate ourselves to Him and remind ourselves of what He has done for us, I wanted to start a series in the book of Ephesians. Actually, initially, I didn't, wasn't really thinking of going through the book of Ephesians. I wanted to start in chapter 4 because I wanted to talk about our body, our family. I appreciate what Gay Ellen had said, that while we are a congregation, we're more than just a congregation, a gathering of people. We are a family. We are children of God. We are members of his body. We are brothers and sisters. So we are a family. And we are in the midst of a tremendous transition. Now, I really appreciated, although there was some question, but I really appreciated Josh's comment at the meeting that we had. When he had asked, what is really afoot about our transferring from a Sunday worship to Saturday? If what we're doing is just about changing days, is, is that all that's really being thought of? And that really isn't all that's being thought of. That's sort of a manifestation, a reflection of what we're really thinking about. What the elders have been thinking about is what is Beth Ariel in its essence? Who are we? Where have we come from and what was the purpose when Beth Ariel was birthed and what was its calling? And have we been faithful to that calling all of these years? Or is God now leading us, and though we may have been faithful to it, is God now leading us to pursue that calling and maybe in a different manner than we have pursued it before? These are many things that we need to think about, and we're going to see over the years, no doubt, how all of this is going to unfold, because God hasn't told us everything about what he's about to do, but he's beginning a process of transition and change, and that is happening. And that ought to be something we are welcoming because change is a part of reality of life. I know that there are some for whom change is a very frightening prospect. It's a scary thing. But change is a part of your life too, as it is a part of those for whom change is exhilarating, exciting, and fun and challenging. But if you think about this, we all change. We don't look the same as we did not too long ago, and we will not look the same as we do now not too long to come. All of our cells are changing all of the time. Our ideas are, are evolving always. That is, if we're desirous of learning things and reconsidering things, we are always changing. 
Even those that do not like to change and think of themselves as not changing are always changing because they're always devising new ways and trying to uh, accumulate new energy so as not to change any more than they would like to. So change is a reality. It's a reality because there is a restlessness in every human heart that seeks for something else, something more, something better, something more delightful. St. Augustine said there's a restlessness in our heart until we find our rest in God, we have no rest at all, essentially. And even when we find the Lord and he enters into our hearts, we still do not rest because we know that we need to be more than what we have already become. And so the Spirit of God is at work in our hearts to conform us, to transform us, and to make us more like His Son. We are being changed all the time. And there is an evil one who would desire us not to change where God is leading one to change, who is always thwarting the work of God or attempting to in our lives. So there's always change going on, whether for the good or for the ill. Our prayer is that as we consider change for our congregational life, it will be for the better and for the good. Because whatever God is calling us to at the time in which he's calling us to is the thing we want to do. And it is always a better thing than simply being safe in what God has already done. And so we're attempting, we're desiring, we're looking at what does God have for us and what is God about. Now, in the Messianic community, I think that we have made a major mistake. Our major mistake has been we've not listened to our Gentile neighbors and churches as we ought to have. Because these people know how to do church. They know how to do congregation. And Messianic congregations are not very good at that. We're always revaluating, and one of the reasons we're not very good at it is because our energy is put into other things than that. So, for example, we're always trying to figure out what it means to be a messianic congregation. A lot of energy goes into thinking about that. And when you put so much energy into that, well, oftentimes we're missing the real substance of what God is also at work in doing, what it means to be a body of believers, what it means to be a community of individuals joined to one another, what it means to be a family, in other words. So we've spent a great deal of time over the last number of decades trying to figure out how it is we can reflect our faith in a Jewish way, and it has been oftentimes at the cost of being the kind of congregational family we also need to be. The bo- both end are important, and we need not to forget about what it means to be a body of believers and what the expectations are. That's why I wanted to come to the book of Ephesians, because the book of Ephesians is one of Paul's three most important letters. The book of Romans is, of course, his magnum opus. But in addition to the book of Romans, the book of Galatians and Ephesians are his next two that are very critical books. And they deal with congregational life and how a body of believers are to relate to one another. Initially, I wanted to speak on the 12 major one another passages. 
That's why the title was the 12 promises of a healthy body or a healthy congregation. Because a healthy congregation loves one another. A healthy congregation recognizes we are members of one another. A healthy congregation knows that we are to bear one another's burdens. A healthy congregation knows that we are to admonish one another. And there are like 12 of these one another passages. I wanted to go through them because what we are really transitioning to is something in which I believe God wants to take us to become the kind of congregation and family that he really has in mind for us. Now, what I'm saying is, in many ways, our congregation is a commuter congregation. If you think about your life, to what degree are you really connected to one another here? Now, I lead, and Bob and I lead, some home groups that meet twice in the month. I get about 30 people on a Friday night in Chatsworth. Bob, I don't know what he gets, but some of the folks that come to his Bible study are probably part of the people that come to our, congregate, uh, our fellowship. So let's just say that's 30. And we're a congregation of about 120-ish or so. Where are the other 90? <laughs> My math is right. Where are the others? How can we be a congregation if we're not connected to one another? We may have all the right terminologies. We may have all the right traditions. We may have all the right understanding of Scripture, but we're not being the body that we need to be if we're not connected to one another. And this is critical in Paul's mind. Not only in Paul's mind, but take a look at Acts chapter 2 just for a moment. When you read of the early believers, and not everything about the early believers was great. There was a great deal of conflict in the congregation that was put together in Corinth. There's a lot of division and divisiveness, and that whole letter deals with problems that were to be solved. But when you read in Acts chapter 2, after the believers came to faith in Messiah, it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, the sent out ones, these leaders among the congregation of believers at the very outset of the body. They devoted themselves to their teaching. Didn't mean that they just read the word every day. It meant they scrutinized it together as a family. They sought to study and understand and put into practice what these leaders in the early body were conveying. It says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. I'll never forget, I think it was Billy Graham that said, what is fellowship? It's two fellows in the same ship. And, you know, if you're into sailing and if you think of it as a rowboat and it's your last hope, you know, it's like we have to work together. We have to like each other. We have to get along with each other because we don't have any, too many options. Here, it's a whole different world. If we don't get along with each other, we go down the block and we find another place to go. That is not what the apostles taught. The apostles didn't teach leave because there are problems. They taught, seek the Lord to solve them. And here, they devoted themselves to fellowship. In one sense, they were like fellows in the same ship because there wasn't a first, second, third, fourth, or fifth, whatever, Baptist group or whatever group down the block. It was either them or nothing. We have options today, and we use those options in a wrong manner. 
It takes all kinds of bodies of believers to reach all kinds of people, but we use them as scapegoats to escape the challenges in our lives. And so if somebody says to us, you know, what you're doing is not right or good, we say, hey, you know, I'm out of here, and we go somewhere else. But we don't step back and say, maybe there's some truth here. Maybe there's something I should listen to. Maybe there's something here I should respond to. And we all go through this. I know I do. When I meet with the elders, sometimes they bring to my attention the things that they are not happy with. Just so that you know, I don't get a carte blanche here. They let me know they're not happy with certain things. And sometimes I react and I say to myself, you know, you don't get it. And then I go home and I pray and I reflect. And I say, you know, there is some truth here I need to listen to and I need to be responsive to. And that's true of all of us, me, the other elders, and you as well. But if we don't do that, we're not going to be the kind of people God wants us to be and we won't be the kind of congregation that Beth Ariel can be to the glory of God. Because I see such great opportunities and potential with this body of believers. But it will take some willingness to change and willingness to allow God to really penetrate into our hearts. And it's going to take a great deal of sacrifice because we need to be connected to one another. And you can't be if all we see each other in is on a Sunday morning service. We struggle with this, Brian will tell you. We struggle with the same thing back east. And maybe there are other congregations like that that do as well. But we now need to take the bull by the horns and deal with this issue because our challenges are so great. We need to reach this Jewish community. And we can't do it in haphazard manners. We gotta pull together, be united in purpose, Utilize our gifts for the glory of God, the building up of one another, and the accomplishment of what it is God is calling us to do. And we need to do what God would have us to do. And it will not be easy. I'm grateful that Josh is doing this evangelism seminar. We had about 15 folks or so who were there uh, last week. And we're getting ready to do outreach. There's so many people that are interested. We're breaking them up into two groups. One is going to be going up to see me for the fireworks on July 4th. Another is going to be down here. We're going to share the good news. And then we have plans in August. Be doing some door-to-door work in West, uh, the western part of the valley to invite people to our congregation on Shabbat and to our High Holy Day services. And then we have plans in October to go back out and thank those who came. And if they didn't come, to say, hey, we still got Shabbat services. Come again. We want to be reaching out to the community. And we can't do that if we don't do it together. The march that we had uh, for Holocaust Remembrance Day was such a marvelous thing. Uh, I wish Scott was here because he gives me an update of everything that is looked at, how many times and where on the internet. And I don't have the exact numbers, but upwards about three, four weeks ago, something like 1,800 times our messages here have been downloaded from all places all over the world, including Korea and Israel and many other places. I'll get that information. I'll share that with you. But the film video of the slides and the photographs that Krista had taken that is on the internet has been, had been downloaded over a hundred and some odd times. 
People are seeing us serving and connecting in the community through uh, that internet. And that can be enlarged dramatically as we as a congregation work together to reach this greater Los Angeles, even if it's just the Western Valley Jewish community with the good news. They could do that, the early believers, because number one, it says they devoted themselves to the teaching. So they knew what God's word was instructing them to do, and they would put it into practice and do it. I don't mean just some of the interesting things, like I'm teaching something at Shalom Fellowship on Messianic prophecy. It's really neat. It's it's wonderful to see how the pieces fit together. But you can't just hang there and say, well, that was neat. Now I can go home. But we need to look at God's word that instructs us to do what we're supposed to do, such as go into all the world and proclaim the good news. And we say it enough, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If anyone's got to live that out, Beth Ariel must, must, must live that out. And we have no right to call attention to anyone who is not living that out if we're not living that out. And so that's a first kind of statement in Scripture. First, above all, the gospel must get to God's chosen people. It's come to us, those of us who are of Jewish background. Other people took that verse very seriously. They brought it to us, and we have experienced eternal life. And now it is for us, not as just individuals, but collectively as a congregation working together to be known for, oh, that's the congregation that keeps telling the Jewish people about us, and we don't want to hear it anymore. That's what we want to hear. That's that congregation that keeps coming to our doors over here or I keep seeing in the malls playing music or whatever they're doing. That's the ones that keep telling us Yeshua is the Messiah and I don't believe that. Or now I'm wondering. But that's what we need to be about. Anyway, we need to be about devoting ourselves to teaching, devoting ourselves to fellowship. He says devoting ourselves, and we're going to do this very shortly, breaking bread and prayer. We need to gather together to pray for one another. We need to pray for our community. We need to beseech God because we cannot do this just by strategy alone. We can't do it without strategy, but we can't do it with only strategy. We must be empowered by God's spirit to do. And he has to move on our hearts that we're moved in our conscience that I must do this. And this is what you see in the Brit HaRashah. This is what you see with, with these early believers for Paul, for example, example, he said, woe is me if I don't proclaim the good news. God's judgment would fall on me. That's how intense he understood his goal and his role, to teach God's word. Goes on to say that everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were gathered together. They shared with regard to one another everything in common. They sold their possessions. Every day they continued, every day, think of this, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And this is one of the things Bob particularly was pointing out is that we, we would like to start recognizing Shabbat. And on Friday evening to welcome people into our homes. This is what they did. We could do that anyway. But it's a wonderful thing to do it in connection with the day that God has set apart in a unique way in his word and for us and for our people. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. They had joy in their hearts. It says with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God. 
They were enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were saved. It starts with the body being the body the Lord wants us to be. It starts by devoting oneself to the teaching and the implementing of God's word in our own personal lives. It starts with people joined together, caring about one another, loving one another, praying for one another, supporting one another. It starts with the Spirit of God moving among a community in such a fashion that it forces us to come together in his love and in his faithfulness. Now, I wanted us to look at Ephesians 4 because this is what Paul builds on. But then I thought, the book of Ephesians is in two parts. The first three chapters are doctrinal in nature. They're teachings about God and the congregation of believers. In chapters 4 through 6, then, those teachings are then fleshed out in world, real life. And I thought, you know, how can I talk about how these things should be fleshed out if we don't have a foundation in the teachings that Paul expresses? And so in the first three chapters, he's going to tell us about what we ought to believe. But his concern is not only that we believe it, that we also behave like it. I say this, these two words together because I'll never forget, I think it was Mitch Treisman. Do you remember him, Jerry? From Philadelphia, Mitch and those guys. Mitch used to be a part of Chosen People. He'd come to our meetings. And I just remember one moment, I don't know why he said this, but in some context, he put these three pairs together. And it was, maybe he was giving a devotional and he was talking about how what we know about God's word needs to be fleshed out in our lives. And he said something like this, our beliefs must be seen in our behavior. Our doctrine must be seen in our deeds. Our lip must be seen in our life. And so I never forgot that. I've oftentimes forgot to do it, but I've never forgot those, those pairs. And that's what Paul does. He tells us of right doctrine, right beliefs, and right things to lip or say. But in chapters 4 through 6, he'll tell us that they, we are to not only believe them, but behave them. And we're not only to lip them, but live them. And we're not only to understand them doctrinally, but they are to be our deeds that we are to do in the world, with one another, and in the community at large. Now, one last thing I just want to bring your attention to. If you would, during the course of this week, read over and over and over again, as often as you can, the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. That's what we're going to look at. But this is what I'd like you to see. I want you to notice the way Paul frames these three ideas. And as I share about them next week, you see if you've come up with them. If you want to send me an email, say, hey, I saw this, I saw this, I saw that. Uh, feel free to do so, and maybe I'll incorporate that. But here's the thing. I want you to notice, first of all, look at verse, verse, <laughs> verse 6. Paul talks first of that, uh, well, verse 3. First of all, he, this is actually, these verses, is an expression of his praise to God. In fact, in Greek, it's one long sentence. So in verses 1 to 14, it's one sentence. You got to take like a really deep breath to like read that, you know. But the idea is, I'll share this next week, but the idea is Paul is just writing 
And as he's writing, these thoughts are coming into his mind. He's saying, I've got to say that, and I've got to say this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And he just keeps saying the things that are popping into his mind. It's almost like someone with ADD, and they're just like all over the place. Well, all of these ideas are interconnecting thoughts. And for Paul, they give one giant expression of praise for what God has done. These first 14 verses are about the riches he has given to us, about all the blessings he's bestowed upon us, about the nature of the grace that he has expressed to us, what we have already, already received. And what I'd like you to see is how he breaks it up. The first section, verses 1 to 5, concludes with verse 6. And look how he concludes it. He says all these wonderful things. Praise be to the God and Father who has blessed us, who has chosen us, who has loved us, who has given us uh, great abundance. And look at this, verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Look at verse um, verse. 12. He talks about what we have received in Messiah. We've been chosen in him. We're part of his plan and part of his purposes. We've been made the mystery that God of God's will has been known to us, made known to us in verse 9. And look what he says. He concludes this section in verse 12 by saying, for the praise of his glory. And then in verse 13, in the last section, 13 and 16, he talks about the blessings that come by way of the Spirit of God, the blessings that come by way of the Father, the blessings that come by way of the Messiah, and the blessings that come by way of the Spirit of God. And look how he ends it, to the praise of his glory. God has given us all of these graces. He's given us all of these privileges. He's given us all of these gifts. Call him what you will. It is by his grace he's bestowed this upon us and for one primary purpose, that he would be glorified to the praise of his glory. You know, I've always thought, and it's only since reading this recently, this past week, I've always thought that God has saved us because we're in such great need. And if he doesn't save us, we're lost. But you know what Paul is telling us? That's not why he saved you and me. He saved us so that he would be glorified. That we would be a praise to his glory. It wasn't just our benefit he was concerned with. It was the manifestation of his glory that it would be proclaimed and made known. And so here's the big question. Is our life a praise to his glory? Is it a praise to him? Because that's why he saved you. That's why he's given you what he's given you. He did this that he would be honored in every respect. Now, I know all of us have done things that were not to the praise of his glory. We've all done things that were dishonoring of his name. But we need to remember that by God's grace, we can be forgiven of such things because what is God about? He's about working in you and in me, in your life and my life, that we would be a praise to him. And that's why Yeshua says we are to let our lights shine 
that others would see these good works, but that they would glorify our Father who is in heaven, that we would be a praise to his glory. So that is the theme that I want to think about and to speak to over the course of this summer. How can Beth Ariel be a praise to his glory? We are in many ways, but in some ways we are not. And how can we be more consistently as a congregational, as Galen said, family, not merely a congregational body, although we are that, but a congregational family, how can we be as such to the praise of his glory? Sunday morning in some regard reflects that. But it must go beyond that to where we are doing what God would have us do for one another as well as for the world around us. That we would be as a congregation and as well as individuals truly a praise to him. Because we want to be those faithful servants that God would have us to be. And we want to have those rewards that we can put back at his feet and say it is to the praise of your glory. Now, as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, I really don't want us to try to rush through this, which we oftentimes do, but I'd like you to think about your life as I think about mine and to ask the question, in what areas of my life Do I need God to so work and so penetrate that I would be more to the praise of his glory than I am or have been? I'd like us to think about what God has done to make it possible for us to be the kind of testimony he would want us to be for one another and for others outside of our own particular congregational family. I want us to reflect upon the depths to which Messiah went in giving his life a ransom for many so that we would be a praise to his glory. Not just merely satisfied that we've made it from earth to heaven, but that in between we've gone from earth to heaven as a praise to his glory. May every moment of our lives, and I know this is idealistically thinking, but might every moment of our lives, every word that we share, every thought that we think, every action we do, if we would preface it by asking ourselves, is this to the praise of his glory? Am I pursuing this to the praise of his glory? For some, wherever you work, It's ultimately to the praise of his glory. You may be satisfied with the paycheck as well. You may be satisfied with the recognition and acknowledgement as well. Those are not bad things, and I'm not saying either or, but let us be assured that what we do, we are doing to the praise of his glory. When we deal with our children, are we dealing with them to the praise of his glory? May everything we do, may we attempt to do everything we do, preface by, Lord, I do this to the praise of your glory. And if God enables us to do that, 
well, what marvelous things we will behold, not only in our own lives and in the lives of others that we touch, but in our midst, it will be extremely exciting, signs and wonders to behold. Let's pray. As we're praying, let me invite Lime and Linda, if you want to come up, and the elders that are present and others that might be willing to assist them to just make your way over to my left, my left side and to help us in distributing the elements as Jerry comes. And I'll pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word and for your truth. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live them out as we should. We simply want to put into practice, Lord, our love for you being one of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to just put into practice what it means to love one another. And so our desire in doing that would result in our being a praise to your glory. So, Lord, we are grateful for your word to us this day. And now as we continue to pray and reflect and commune with you, might you help us to better appreciate, that doesn't really convey it accurately, but better appreciate what you have done for us in giving your life in our place. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.